0: Premonition, a very, very unfair advantage.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Premonition podcast. And this week, we've got a great podcast covering a number of very good subjects around AI automation, legal technology improvements in the legal scene, and regulatory change, and those other subjects which we can fit in into this week's episode. And today... We're speaking with Eileen Schultz. Eileen, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, and thanks for having me.
1: Not a problem. It is completely our pleasure. Absolutely. So please, Eileen, give our wonderful listeners out there an idea about who you are and what you do and why you're on the show.
0: Sure. I won't ramble on too long here, but... The long and short is there's there's two sides to what I do. There's my it's effectively a solo practice or a solo consultancy where I do uh, growth and innovation strategy, and I work primarily with technology companies. In uh, the last bunch of years, it's been primarily legal legal technology companies, and then the other side, sort of my yin yang, it's sort of like this yin yang type balance that I have going on. Um, the other side of me, and I'll let you decide whether it's the yin or the yang is the World Legal Summit. And so the World Legal Summit is focused on, well, I think we might get into that, but uh, the long and short of it is it focuses on bringing better legislative um, and in a non-prescriptive a non-prescriptive way, it's really focused on collaboration, information gathering, and um, but bringing better legislation and regulatory frameworks to emerging technologies worldwide.
1: Wow, so There we go. That's something you need to look up, Mr. Listener or Mrs. Listener. That is something worthwhile. Absolutely. So you said legal technology, these these are two words which don't usually sit well together. And it seems like the legal community have been resisting the wave of technology for many, many years. Is this something which motivated you to get into this area?
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say legal technology specifically. That's certainly where it started. Fortunately, that's changing and, you know, you are seeing more and more of, you know, technologists and legal professionals in the same room, which is fantastic. Um, But on my end, uh, it's really legal innovation, full scope. So I see the law as, uh, you know, I mean, this is sort of goes without saying the law is the foundation of pretty much everything, right? Um, in terms of uh, functional system operations, everything else, right? Everything at the base is people and, and, and people, uh, you know, we work together because there are structures holding us together. Um, and so I really am just in love with legal innovation full scope, whether that's technology coming to the business and practice of law or whether that's the actual uh, legislative transformation.
1: I totally agree and and so you you said that the legal community are now sitting in the same office as the i t people and discussing their needs, et cetera what What sort of changes in attitude have you seen over the last few years? If any
0: well certainly, certainly there's been a ton of changes, and I'm trying to define it because it's really been this you know it's been a smooth curve, right, and so I'm trying to think you know what is that one pivotal? Thing that you can define and say is a change. I would say more, more legal professionals. When I first jumped into legal innovation a handful of years ago, it was really you know you'd go to these legal technology events, and there was a smattering of lawyers. Mind you, there was a smattering of developers as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So it goes both on um, both sides, but there's this you know the, just this whole bunch of people that were sort of loosely in legal and loosely in technology. Um, but now you're seeing a lot of, you know, raw, raw legal professionals, you know, sort of risking, uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is they're risking, you know, to, come to these events and you're, you're seeing, I would say like a friendliness, a friendliness and a, and a warmth toward technology. And maybe, maybe it's not a friendliness and a warmth and more of just a, Uh, recognizing that technology is something that is coming, whether we like it or not, and that more legal professionals need to get in the game, and they are, uh, which is great.
1: Absolutely. So it's probably more that sort of, dare dare I say, millennial effect, where they've grown up with technology and they're coming into the legal industry and then saying, what tools do I need? Um, Salesforce isn't cutting it for me all or whatever, around um, other CRM tools are available.
0: Well, uh, and students. Yeah. Students are realizing this. So actually, sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but the, I would say a big change is law students now and law departments at universities actually preparing their students going into the legal industry upon graduation with the tools and the technologies and the insights to actually develop a career in innovation.
1: I think that's great and personally for me if if I was in that profession I'd be there going why am I doing these repetitive tasks surely I could get a computer system to do this so that I can be used for the more high value tasks which involve me using my brain etc
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely
1: excellent so do you think technology helps speed up the pace of legislative and regulatory change? Is that assisting the legal industry?
0: That one is incredibly tricky. And I hope to answer a lot of those questions to the World Legal Summit. Okay. I would say it's actually the other way around from what I've been seeing, and what I've been studying. It looks, you know, it's more that technology um, in terms of actual adoption, Option and implementation and use, you know, sort of at its cutting edges, is having uh, is having a tricky time actually doing what it was built to do because there aren't the legislative and regulatory structures for it to sit in.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, you get a lot of. companies' ethics dumping and, you know, things like this that, of course, create a lot of issues. Um, However, in terms of actual legislative transformation and, you know, sort of implementing technology in that, um, you know, in terms of actually speeding that up, there's certainly opportunity. uh, I mean, we see this in contract automation quite a bit. For example, there's a lot of uh, logic mapping. That works really well in terms of, I I guess you could say translate. I mean, it's one language to another, translating into computer code. And so there's actually a lot of similarities between how the laws are written and how computer code is written. And this creates this amazing opportunity, you know, should legislation and regulatory bodies be able to keep up, this creates this great opportunity for legal systems and for actual legislation to be translated into uh, computer programmable bodies of knowledge.
1: Yeah. And and so I was just thinking about this. Surely law is just a set of rules which could be implemented in a number of different ways. And that, that's basically a computer expert system.
0: Exactly. Yep.
1: Fantastic. There we go. So you've heard it first here. Um, law is just an expert system. So if you have been studying law for the last three years, um, yeah, computers are going to replace you. Um, <laughs> no. No,
0: absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> so, I mean, not. we'll probably get into that later. But but uh, I definitely want to touch on that that topic as well, because um, I'm a huge proponent of new legal systems, yes, and, and sort of robot infiltration. But I think that that actually opens up new and amazing opportunities uh, for legal professionals as well. So. Uh,
1: absolutely. I totally agree. And it does bring up more uh, legal questions about actually regulating what the robots are doing. But anyway we we'll leave that to the end of the podcast. Uh, keep Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. <laughs> listener on their tender hooks. Suspense. Um, exactly. We need to add a bit of suspense here at the Premonition Podcast. It's always, always good. And uh, thank you for downloading and listening this far. So what, what about technologies such as blockchain and sort of a global view over a sort of legal landscape? Is that happening
0: Mm, I'm so glad you asked that question. So that, that is something that is near and dear to my heart. And um, so I actually believe that most, I would say most emerging technologies, blockchain included, um, sit in this area where they're not really, I would say they're, in origination, they are meant to be uh, globally applied. Um, and let's take blockchain, for example, So, I mean, we hear all, you know, sort of these buzzwords about decentralized systems and blah, 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 what blockchain enables. Um, And if we look at that, what that's getting at is, um, I I mean, wiping out is a strong word, but I should say restructuring or reorganizing uh, the way various institutions, like government institutions, um, you know, identity uh, creating institutions and things like that. And um, it, it creates a new framework for them to operate in which there isn't a reliance on that centralized body. Um, now, I'm not a proponent of complete decentralization. Um, let me just get that out the gate. Um, however, I am a proponent of uh, decentralized systems in the sense of global systems. Um, so, if we look at, for example, self-sovereign identities, and um, this is the concept of building identity structures and um, and and yes, this is made possible by blockchain technology. Building these structures in such a way that um, you or I can can effectively govern and manage our own identity. We don't rely on, uh, for example, a government or a um, you know a health institution to issue our health records or our birth certificates or um, to manage these things. And what you end up seeing is this. Possibility for it, not even just you know at the government level, yes. Um, so there's ways to build these systems within one particular government or society. Um, but this also creates opportunity for global systems, um, such as, for example, universal-based income, or um, you know this idea of having you know what you might call like a truly global citizen, for example, and um, you know someone who is not reliant on any one. Uh, Organization for for their identity,
1: absolutely. And I have done some work uh, speaking to some organizations about that. And yes, um, my world domination will be complete once we have a unique identifier (laughs) for everybody on the planet.
0: Um,
1: And 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 that seems to be the problem. That that's the problem with medical records, the legal side of things as well. Once we have a unique identifier for people, which Cannot be forged, changed, passed on, um, something to do with linking their DNA to some other unique feature, footprints and iris, then we can start having more global systems. And yeah, this this, this is the problem. Exactly. This is the problem today that um, a a, a court in California doesn't know about somebody being in court in Florida, say. So you can go all over the country causing crimes and you could be pretending to be someone else and it's the same for medical records and this is this is a global thing that we cannot uniquely identify very easily all of the people out there and this is the problem and working um, with some medical technology systems I know that some medical professionals have to log into three different systems simply because they can't do single sign-on because the error rate is like 0.1%. But that 0.1% means that somebody could get the wrong medicine and it, it could potentially kill them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we need we need some way of doing this. I'm sure um IBM and those other large players are, are working on that, but yeah, that that would make of- things yeah, that would make things so much easier. And, and of course, that's another problem. If a lot of people are working on this then they're all going to have different systems. So we're back to square one.
0: Yeah, and there are actually blockchain companies out there right now that are working on that exact problem. So, um, you know, for example, out of Toronto, there's a company called Ion. I mean, I, I don't want to misquote, but it sounds like in a lot of ways, they're looking at the problem of uh, you know, okay, so we have all of these different blockchains. And, and that's fine, because there's certain, you know, blockchain infrastructures that are better for different purposes, and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, but then how do they speak to each other, so that we can actually start organizing and coordinating these systems in a way that actually is, you know, future oriented and makes sense. One thing that I, I think is particularly promising and awesome about this whole concept is that there are huge, huge, huge bodies of what are called the invisibles. And these are people that actually don't don't have an identity at all. And they don't have any kind of, you know, government-issued identification. They have absolutely nothing that uh, links them to any kind of system. And, you know, and these are people who end up in situations of being human trafficked and you know you see a lot of these folks at refugee camps and so these kinds of technology systems that we're talking about creates a world in which these people can actually play a role um, in terms of economics and actually building their way out of these situations.
1: That's the thing we we need to be able to stop this large organized crime and this is one way of doing it and the blockchain companies out there so if anybody doesn't know what blockchain is, basically it's a shared ledger of activities which is shared amongst many, many thousands or millions of computers so that you can't actually falsify any of the records. That That's a very simple way of looking at it. Um, there, are, there are many websites dedicated to this. And blockchain is becoming the backbone of many technology operations, whether it is unique identification where you can create your own identification to selling concert tickets to um, th- th- there are even Facebook competitors out there uh, which are all based on blockchain technology. So that's something I'm sure we'll get onto in a future podcast in, in detail. But it's certainly something which is helping the community and on a global level because you can access this blockchain technology. Globally and it doesn't have any barriers and I'm sure we've all heard about Bitcoin and the wonders of the Bitcoin millionaires. Unfortunately, we're not one of them. Um, but again, it, it's a very interesting case study. And now we've got millions of cryptocurrencies, which everybody can take their choice on investing in and potentially making money, which is good anyway. Yeah,
0: it was. And on that too, on crypto in specific, and so something for your um, listeners also to be aware of, crypto and blockchain are not one and the same thing. Blockchain is the infrastructural piece and then crypto is, you know, effectively the layer on top. But uh, in Kenya, for example, there was, I think it was like in 2017 or 2016, it was $10, $10 billion transacted in cryptocurrency. Um, and these are, you know, through populations of people that don't, Currently, even have any kind of association with formalized banking institutions. So, yeah, pretty incredible stuff.
1: Yeah, they they did that basically because the uh, economy wasn't wasn't doing so well, shall we say? So they put all their money into cryptocurrency, and uh, that certainly helps out a lot of people in that situation. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it's interesting. It's very it's very accessible for a lot of people as long as you've got a browser. In, you can put your money into crypto and use that as a sort of banking or, or shall we say, gambling tool for you to make money, lose money, but also to, to, buy, pro- to, to buy products. and
0: There's certainly the nefarious situations as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that that's the difference. A year ago, if I asked anybody about blockchain, they'd say, oh, that's something to do with the dark web and guns and drugs. And now people are saying, oh, I watched, I watched a documentary about that on Netflix. It seems like it's a good idea to buy some.
0: Mm, not now.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't invest in KittyCoin or something else like that. Your um, investment can go up as well as down. And please don't listen to my advice if you are investing money. Yeah, n- not, not legal advice, right? <laughs> no, 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 don't listen to me for legal advice or, or cryptocurrency advice, where to invest your money. Uh, just listen to the podcast, enjoy it, and make up your own minds about the best, best best, thing to do and how to do it. Um, I'm just here to present the show and to listen to the views of our very educated panel, which we keep speaking to speak to on this show. Um, so, yeah, there we go. There's a web disclaimers out of the way. And I'm sure for the listener sitting in the car listening to the podcast or listening at home, they're like, Okay, good point. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yes, very valid.
1: Yeah, just making sure that the legal eagles out there. What about emerging markets and regulation? Moving on to a different side of the coin.
0: Yeah. Well, what about them?
1: Well, how is regulation happening? Um from a from a legal standpoint, around all this up and coming cryptocurrency around the world, and also systems based upon this. How, how how do we know the blockchains doing what it's supposed to be doing?
0: Yeah, so there is a huge issue with that, and this is actually something that when I do give talks on blockchain, uh, I always like to highlight that there are certainly still issues with the technology, and there are a lot of blockchain companies out there that will run around, you know, sort of you know promising the world in seven seas to you know prospective clients and um i mean the fact of the matter is that it's not a mature technology just yet um it is still needing um it is still needing regulation it is still needing better development that is aligned with real world systems and so there's certainly lots to do and then in terms of em- emerging markets uh there's actually um Indication to suggest that, in ways, those legislative structures can actually um, they they can actually move quicker. Uh, you know, than systems in the Western world because, in a lot of ways, um, you know, there are gaps that kind of create kind of, uh, like a blank slate, um, a blank slate that they can actually just build new law on and uh, put it into action relatively quickly.
1: So, do you think this can happen on a global scale?
0: So that, I mean that's a dangerous and scary question. I personally uh am a huge proponent of that idea. Um but I also recognize that I mean it's almost like I I personally feel like there's there's room for almost like two layers. So there's this this layer that it's almost like rules and I think we're going to touch on this later but um in principles of network science there's this there's this idea that um you know, a particular network or a particular system can only scale to a certain size, you know. And if it doesn't have... Uh, you know, the structure and resources and all these kinds of things, and this is, you know, pretty much just intuitive as well, and it will collapse. And so I do think that, you know, given the size of our planet, there is need to maintain unique individual uh, government type structures and, you know, these bodies of populations, you know, from a cultural, economic, social, legal standpoint, political standpoint, um, you know, that are unique in their own right. However, I do think that in that system, we can still have the operation of almost like a global overlay where there is a cooperation among nations in, you know, some very basic uh, things that align with human rights. So things like universal based income, that's sort of like the go-to example. And certainly there is at least a decade of transformation ahead of us for something like that to be realized. And it probably has to be realized at the nation level first. Um, but there's no reason I don't think why we can't collaborate, you know, as a global community in building some of these global systems and structures.
1: Absolutely, and that, that that's interesting that you you talk about the global size of systems and collapsing because that that's why we've got all these splitting split blockchains simply because the block size gets so big that the transactions take longer and longer, and so then it doesn't become. A real-time system, and then you run into other issues.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, we, we will always run into problems as we grow and scale out, of course. Mm-hmm. Mo- moving back to the, the legal side of things, what about data and analytics and the importance of, sort of understanding your net, network of data and wh- what you're bringing into the legal community?
0: Yes, I think there's two sides to that. One, you'd probably be better equipped with um, what you guys are doing at Premonition uh, to talk about. Um, But uh, on my side of things, so I look at data from, yes, the network standpoint. Network analysis of data is uh, incredibly important for a number of reasons. The main one being that you can effectively eliminate the use of resources. Sorry, I shouldn't say eliminate, cut back. (laughs) Significantly, yes, very, very different words cut back significantly on resource expenditure if you have this um, analysis of information in place uh, and the kind of information I- in terms of like what I do anyways that is important here is understanding the key and um, and I mean they're called nodes uh, officially but we'll just call them you know uh, well nodes is a pretty easy word and um, so the key nodes to whatever goal it is you're trying to accomplish so if you're, you know, a law firm and you're trying to adopt new technology and build compliancy in your law firm, for example, um, you know, there's probably actually only a handful of people within the firm itself. There's a, hand, a handful of clients and partners and external stakeholders um, that are relevant to that conversation. It's important to assess who those are and figure out the way that makes most sense to uh, implement them and engage them. And when it comes to the data analysis and these huge pools of data side of things, marketing in particular is one where this is, I guess, a, you could just call it strategy—a strategy that's well suited because in marketing we see often uh, organizations will go out there and they think, okay, well, you know, here is my huge audience of, I don't know, a million people that I need to tap into. Um, And, you know, here is my $2 million budget to match that. But that's just the wrong thinking. And your actual audience is probably only a handful of people in that 1 million. And what I mean by that is by assessing and analyzing that 1 million those one million people's <laughs> I was running myself into a sentence that doesn't make sense and by assessing those one million um persons you can identify which and it might not be people it might be organizations it might be events it might be you know whatever nodes in that that you know, 1 million uh, membered uh, network, let's call it, that are key to your goal fulfillment. And by analyzing that, you're going to end up with just a handful of no's. It's not 1 million. You know, you don't have to go out there and spend $2 million in advertising and trying to get your message in front of every single one of those people or organizations. It's about identifying uh, which ones sit at the core um, and there's something called networks, uh, network centrality, um, which uh, I'm all about, which is finding the nodes in that network that are most central to the rest of the network. And what that means is that they have the shortest number of links to the rest of the network and, and are connected to the rest of it in some way or another. And then by doing that, you develop strategies and ways and tactics of engaging that handful only. And by doing that, you end up, Naturally um, and organically reaching the rest of the network.
1: Uh, absolutely, it's, it's about targeting those people who actually want your message instead of throwing jelly at the wall, shall we say, or jello at the wall, and seeing which mm-hmm. sticks.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it, there, there's so much data out there that people can use. And uh, as you as you said, uh, a premonition here, we we supply people with uh, data around court cases around. Uh, the likely outcome of court cases and also the, the background of the people involved in the court case so that you can understand more about who you're going to be facing in court and what their history is. So we we can supply that information very, very easily. And what we're doing hasn't been done uh, before in this manner. And if we think even 10 years ago, you wouldn't even think this was possible. And when we add this to the other sources of data which uh, the legal community has as well as managing of cases and i know there are a number of systems out there to manage cases and there's even more cloud platforms coming online daily it makes the onerous task of managing a case so much easier than than even five years ago um, from from what, what we can see and this this must mean that there is optimization within organizations because they don't need as many researchers. They've got the information at their fingertips.
0: Yeah. They don't need as much of anything really that they did 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah and that, and that, that's something we've found here at uh, Premonition that the, the the strip mall type of uh, lawyers who, who work out of sort of small office in a strip mall are usually pretty effective compared to the big companies And it's because they've got that amount of data at their fingertips that the big companies have. It's very interesting, some of the statistics we've got. And please, please go to the premonition.ai website and download some of the free reports if you are interested in that side
0: of things. Well, they're incredibly interesting too. I mean, I've seen some of the the stuff that um, your team is discovering and it's, I I mean, almost controversial, um, you know, in terms of, I mean, it's just such strong insights around, um, I saw your most recent report on uh, legal professionals and, um, you know, who performs better than other professionals, that, that was one of your more recent reports, is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, are you talking about the statistic about women being so much better than men?
0: Yeah. And I wanted you to say
1: it. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's fine. I, I can, I can say, I've got my big point pants on today. I, I can say that the women are far more effective <laughs> in law than men. Um, and uh, we've got many, many statistics. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. It, 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 is it, is it worth employing a partner in or ba- barrister uh, depending on where you are in the world as opposed to a, a standard lawyer? Um, we have statistics on that, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to spoil the punchline, but, yes, that, that's that's also quite surprising.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, yes, thank you. Thank okay. you for mentioning that. Uh, we, we do like talking about that, and we've got the data to back that up as well, which is uh,
0: always yes. good,
1: especially when discussing uh, controversial subjects such <laughs> as that. It's yeah. good. Um, so... I know we're talking before the show here and and you mentioned the role of uh, WLS contributing to the pace at which legislation frameworks can match the pace of technology, which is always a challenge.
0: Yeah. Uh, Do you want me to just sort of dive in on that or?
1: Absolutely. Because I, I think this has always been a problem. And from my perspective, I've seen technology change very quickly and the pace of change is getting quicker the The cycle of replenishing technology is getting quicker, and the 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 new systems that come in line, uh, the new technology behind it, those those cycles are getting shorter and quicker. and so for for the legislation frameworks to keep pace, they've got to do something different each time to keep up with this new technology that's out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's important. Um, I think I did mention this at the beginning as well, and the, the World Legal Summit is not uh, prescriptive this first year out the gates. Um what our role or at least I see the role of the, the WLS is um building a space in which The people that are working on these things, so that the technologists, the academics, the policymakers, the legal professionals, and you know, building a platform in which all stakeholders can come to the party, um, contribute their insights, um, and learn from each other, uh, and then bring that back to their um, particular roles in those systems. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of issues with this. Obviously, I mean the 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 biggest one is that, yes, legislation can't keep up with technology, but what ends up happening is that actually technology is having a difficult time doing what it's supposed to do as well, because, you know, yes, it is moving at lightning speed, um, but it's also being prevented, um, prevented from further growth um, and, you know, prevented from you know, it's evolutions and things like that, because in some places where these things are being developed, there isn't the uh, regulatory infrastructure to um, to enable their use. Uh, I mean, autonomous vehicles is a great case in point. Uh, I mean, they're ready, they're out there, they're ready. The problem is that we don't have you know, city level infrastructure in terms of, yes, bylaws and the actual legislative structures, but we also don't have the physical structures or the organization of the city um, to enable these things. And I mean, that's just, that's sort of like this, you know, physical manifestation of the greater issue, which is that technology is sitting there ready to be implemented, um, but it doesn't have the correct structures to do that. That's something that, I mean, both for the sake of innovation and for the sake of ensuring that that innovation doesn't uh, destroy the planet <laughs> and all the humans on it. Um, you know, we need to, yeah, we need to speed up the law.
1: Absolutely. And autonomous cars are, are very interesting. It's going to happen. But uh, of course, th- these cars are going to be based on rules and we, we've all seen the movie Iron Robots. But, but what happens if 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 a tire explodes, the car knows the tire has exploded, and then the car says, "Okay, I can kill the occupants, or I can I can let the car right. carry on carry on going the other way, and right. then it, it's going to hit the school bus or something." And
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so it's doing those calculations in real time. We we could never mm-hmm. do calculations that quickly, but the the ethics no. side of it, and and what's it going to do? Are, are you telling me that? The car, the car is going to make that conscious decision, and I use the word conscious with a, a slight tongue in cheek uh, to to <laughs> actually get, uh, save the occupants, but but hit the school bus, which could be more devastating for the global community. Mm-hmm. It, it it is very very interesting, and the the other thing I think about is like drones. Uh, we had we had a rogue drone in England. Um, it was closed down an airport. Um, nobody knows if that drone actually existed because uh, the, the story sort of went away quite quickly. But
0: mm.
1: what if, what if a, an organization bought some drones from China? They're, they're what, $50 each? You buy 30 drones, uh, you get them to look for heat sources, large heat sources, you program them to be autonomous, and there you go. You, you've, got, you've got your act of terrorism.
0: That's already happening. That's already available technology. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's terrifying. (laughs) And that is an issue. And I mean, especially when you consider some of these drones are like the size of your fingertip.
1: Absolutely. And um, uh, there's a Black Mirror episode, which is uh, quite similar to that uh, available on Netflix, about the power of small uh, autonomous drones. This is something which... I, I know we wanted to get on to, and I'm sure our dear listener is waiting with bated breath to f- find out about. But it, it's this. Oh yes, yeah.
0: What did we promise earlier? I can't even. Recall. We did promise something at the end here.
1: We, we did. <laughs> we we promised we're going to talk about AI, and, and this right, is the interesting right. thing. So already, already we've got our our friend Mr. Tesla, who's got an organisation. Where they created uh, an artificial intelligent bot, and it was so good that they switched it off, and now they've become an ethics company to work out if they should release right. it and how they should release it. Yeah, we we've got AI out there at the moment, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I think it was Google um, who who created a, a system, and then the AI started creating its own language to communicate with itself. And that's when they switch that one off. It's like, whoa, whoa. hold on whoa, a second. Whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Oopsie Daisy. There we go. Let's not do that again. But but again, we're going to have artificial intelligence. We're going to have machine learning in there, in the mix, and then we're going to have court cases based upon what these machines have done. So, so who's responsible for these machines? Because these machines are making their own decisions, and I think. Well, and this is the question for you, when, where do humans stop and where do machines begin and what is conscience and what is, oh what is my thought?
0: Gosh. Yeah. yeah.
1: We've got 10 oh. minutes to cover that one. <laughs> yeah,
0: so I, I'm not sure if you aware, my background is in philosophy. <laughs>
1: oh, wow. Um,
0: yeah. And so I love this stuff. Um, and it's a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, I mean, the consciousness thing, that is, uh, I was actually just, uh, so I started watching Westworld recently. Um, have you, are you familiar with this?
1: I've seen the original, I uh, haven't seen the new series, um, but yeah, I, I, I get I get the idea of it.
0: The episode actually I just watched last night, it did a great job of, uh, I mean, there's sort of this standing philosophical question, right? We can't even define what our own consciousness is. Um, you know, we don't even know, we, I mean, we cannot prove beyond the fact that i mean you're a thinking a conscious being as far as you're aware we cannot undeniably prove that we are ourselves conscious um and so how can we possibly do that uh for another entity um whether that be our own creation or not and so that particular question yeah i mean i i think it depends what definition of consciousness and there are several out there that you're taking and that I mean, that that is that is a question uh, that could trail on for decades, um, and I don't actually know that it will ever have an answer. But then there's of course the question of you know what does it mean in terms of legal and governance to have consciousness, right? Um, and then we get into the question of does you know how is consciousness defined in the law, and is that is that the underlying part of the equation that And suggests whether or not robots are to have rights, for example. Right. So we we, I mean, as human beings, we're terrified. We're terrified of this concept of, you know, AI robot human, you know, pseudo human beings effectively out there amongst us. But I, I was on a panel a while ago, and it was actually a debate. It was an AI debate um, about whether, you know, who should be master? Like, who should be the ultimate um, governor of all? Uh, AI, an AI system, or human beings? Um, and the question that I put to the audience was, and I'd be interested to hear what, you're, what you have to say to this as well. Um, the question I asked was, If let's you know have a thought experiment here. What if we were to be in a world in which we had, um, you know, as a body of human beings, to decide between one of two governing systems? One is ruled uh, single-handedly by one human being, and of course there are obvious current political characters that jump to mind. Then the second is, or the second system you have to choose from is a, an AI system that has been programmed, yes, over decades and decades, I would hope, to, to take the action that is best. And of course, yes, you have to de- you know, figure out how to define what is best for the most amount of human beings. Of those two systems, which would you choose? Personally, I would choose the AI system you know, yes, I think, I mean, I think people get scared because then that's sort of putting yourself, you know, that kind of takes away the control, right? Uh, Your circumstantial control in any given instance, you know, to protect yourself as opposed to humans generally, and you know, at a greater, yeah. So, so that's kind of my thinking. I
1: think that's a very interesting question and I I, I agree with you that that the AI system would be a better ruler and it would serve the majority better. But it depends on what the AI's end goal is. If the end goal is to maintain the equilibrium of the planet, um, that's fine. It would then be able to manage day to day. But if the end goal is to have everybody living in harmony and be, be one great global community, then then the ai is going to do something completely different so i i think day to day ai could rule but it's what is the end goal and again that end goal could be manipulated by unscrupulous people i think it's interesting i think there's some sort of ai should make it de- govern but through a global council perhaps um, it's a bit like having villains. Right. Yeah. It's a bit like having head running the world, except Bill head are, are are an an AI solution that uh, responds to a global council. And um, I'm sure there's a movie on that somewhere. It's a bit like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, just go and see the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz tells you what to do, and then it's like, right, go back and tell the people. Right. Um,
0: right. <laughs> that,
1: that'll do the trick. It's a very good question, and. For the greater good is the, is the other problem, really, isn't it? Just think about Mister Spock there in, uh, in Star Trek. It, it's it's for the greater good. It's logical, Captain, but logic might not be the uh, best way forward all the, all the time. Sorry,
0: carry on. Mm, yeah, and that's it, right? I think it's almost like this logic versus emotion. You know, human beings are very emotional, and that's why we make you know crazy decisions as politicians and things like that. Whereas an AI system is. Uh, theoretically, totally governed by logic. Then you have the question: Is you know does this AI system have emotions built into it? And anyways, I mean that's a whole other rabbit hole. Oh, um, <laughs> <But>, massively. Um, <laughs> but what I wanted to say there was that I mean I I I think it's only as terrifying as people make it, right? So yes, AI could um, be a very bad thing, right? And however, it can also be an incredibly beautiful thing. And, um, you know, I don't think it's just human beings that need, uh, defense here. You know, I do believe that we're going to end up with, um, a world in which we have to ask ourselves, you know, for example, um, if there's, well, okay. So in, in, um, uh, part of Asian, I can't remember exactly where, um, there is a legally registered cyborg. And so this is a human being who has had part of their biological system augmented by uh, technology and they're actually illegal, like legally identified as a cyborg. Right. So we're already, yeah, it's already trickling in. We're already getting there. So these are questions we certainly need to start asking ourselves now is, you know, an AI system that's out there, it's autonomous, it's doing its own thing. Uh, and it does something bad, it, there there almost has to be like a right to still be, you know, like uh, have a court hearing and everything else and, and go through to the court system just like any human being would. And, and my argument for that is that these creations, yes, they're created by developers um, in their origin, but it's almost like a living, breathing, uh, you know, it, you know, it's this kind of masterpiece that, um, is out there and, you know, it's going to be doing bad things. It's going to be doing good things, just like human beings. Um, you know, why, you know, to just destroy something like that, the moment it does something bad. I mean, to me, I think that's, I, I see that as kind of wrong. You know, I do think that there needs to be some sort of way of, uh, governing and regulating these things in a system where, um, once these, once these machines or whatever you want to call them are out there and operating amongst us, yeah, I mean, we, we, we need to make sure that we're creating the legislative systems where they can also continue to do good and, and can be regulated, right? And maybe instead of a jail cell, it's they go back to the dev shop, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and get tweaked a little bit.
1: Well, yeah, there's some, um, oh, it's one of the, again, I'm going back to this series, Black Mirror. Have you watched that sort
0: all? yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I did
0: watch the one episode.
1: Oh, there's <laughs> one, there's one where, um, there's a twist at the end and this guy's allowed not, not to be in prison, but everybody's, everybody's blocked him. So he can't talk to anybody and everybody he sees is just a blob and he can't hear a word they're saying. And that's everybody. And, and that, that's probably the worst thing ever. Unless you're a real recluse, um, that yeah that just sounds horrible and yeah that that is a very good series if you want to think about what what could be happening in the future and already like three episodes uh from that series have actually come true but yeah look 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 into that it it's a, it's a very interesting subject and I'm, I'm glad to be able to speak to somebody such as yourself who has some very interesting thoughts and has obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this sort of
0: thing. yeah probably a bit too much too much time
1: oh <laughs> never never no, no, no. <laughs> yeah cyborgs are out there and somehow we're gonna have to legislate robots it will create a new form of uh, legal mm. precedent
0: yeah and I think it could be a beautiful thing actually
1: it could be a beautiful thing let's yeah we, we've already We've already let robots into our houses to uh, sweep the floor for us. We're already paying a thousand dollars for a device that listens to everything we say and then sends us advertisements for it. So,
0: um,
1: some would, some would say the robots are already here. We just don't know what they're doing.
0: Well, so, and then that goes to the whole thing too, right? It's like, I mean, who are the governing bodies, right? In the case of these in-home robots that are, you know, turning on our stoves for us and turning off our lights and, you know, playing music to our babies before they go to bed, you know, that's, the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks of the world, right? Now, if we live in a world where they're the governing bodies, like that's terrifying. I don't personally have one of those devices in my home. (laughs) I don't know if you do.
1: (laughs) I I don't. I prefer to uh, sweep the floor myself or or persuade my girlfriend's children to do it with candy, um, which is a lot cheaper. Candy is a lot cheaper. (laughs) Of course, other sweeping devices are available. Eileen, I have to go. I think our listener has got enough research to do. Please, um, where where can people find out more information? What what are your favorite links? Top three.
0: I mean, connect with me on LinkedIn and I can throw resources your way. I would definitely say look up network science um, and what they're doing at the MIT Media Lab. And um, that's huge. I would say, uh, again, this is an MIT callback, but uh, their media review, tech review platform, they cover the latest and greatest in all of these things. And let's go with The The Economist, just for balance' sake.
1: Fabulous. Thank you. And I, I'll chuck one in there. Uh, it's called The Blockchain Show. If you want to find more about technology, in the blockchain space and what people are doing with it. Um, it's a pretty good podcast and I can say that you'll find out why if you go and download any episodes on there. Eileen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been educational and you've made my brain hurt with ideas and thoughts.
0: <laughs> I apologize. You're the one who brought them up. <laughs>
1: I I know I, I
0: didn't
1: <laughs> I didn't realize we'd have so much to talk about in this podcast and, and so much thought provoking stuff which uh, will will keep me going for for weeks.
0: Great. Well, thanks for having me on the show.
1: Absolute pleasure, I absolute pleasure. Thank you. And of course, thank you to the listener you you've listened to the end of the podcast. So please, you've listened to the end of the podcast listener send us some feedback. Tell us what you think. What do you think about the subjects we've talked about? Have you got any favorite websites or any journals or white papers which could add to this discussion? And we will share that with uh, the other listeners. So please keep downloading, uh, subscribe to our mailing list, and we keep you posted about future podcasts and, of course, all the comings and goings within the premonition world. So from me, Ian, this is goodbye. And from Aileen.
0: Goodbye as well. Until next time.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And there will be a next time. Thank you.
0: Okay. Bye now.